The Cappuccino Podcast brought to you in association with Tactical Solutions. For all your tactical solutions, check them out at www.tactical.co.nz. It's that time again, so grab yourself a cup of joe and get ready for the Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Okay, so my guest today, because uh, women's rugby seems to be on the upturn, strangely enough, after uh, the Black Ferns won the Rugby World Cup, anybody would have thought that possibly it was almost the first time they'd ever done it, but hey, look, uh, we won't go there. So my guest today, and we're going to talk about kind of where women's rugby is going to go around the world and what's going to happen is Anna Richards. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Anna Richards is, go and back and listen to the earlier podcast. Often referred to, and it's not because she's old, the GOAT uh, of Black Ferns rugby. Uh, so, <laughs> 54 games for the Black Fern, 49 tests, New Zealand Order of Merit in 2005. Uh, she was part of the all-conquering, all-dominating, world-beating Auckland Storm team. 1994 to 2005, they're unbeaten. She's won four Rugby World Cups. Uh, she's won multiple championships and sevens. She's only one of three women in the Rugby Hall of Fame. She is currently still assistant coach for the Super Rugby Women's Team uh, in Auckland. Yeah, there's still there's now a lot more girls in the Hall of Fame, which is wonderful. There you go. That is a good thing. High performance manager uh, at Auckland for women's rugby and. In 2021, won the Steinlager Salva Award, and she's the first woman ever to do so in New Zealand. So we reckon she might have enough rugby knowledge to guide us through what's happening with women's rugby in New Zealand. If not, I've got the wrong guest. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go for it. So uh, after all the hype in the steam's gone, should we view the tournament, the Rugby World Cup, uh, as nothing but a success? Well... I don't care if the dust is settled or not, it was an outstanding success on a number of levels. You know, just the quality of rugby first and foremost. Um, the fact the Black Ferns won, you know, outrageously after being smashed by England and France, yep. you know, 10 months before. Um, the viewership on TV, on social media platforms at the games were unprecedented. Uh, just fan engagement across the board was incredible. So I, I don't see where you can't see it as a success on every level. And now I know you get asked this all the time, but I'm going to ask anyway because uh, you and I have even spoken about this. How envious of today's Black Ferns are you? Because unlike you, let's be honest, in, in the day um, you didn't have all the hype or all the expectation um, and the pressure, like I used to take you out to schools in South Auckland and people would be like, oh, we thought you were bringing Tana Umanga because you said they'd won three Rugby World Cups. I'm like, well, that's her, she's there. Um, so are you quite relieved that in some ways you missed all that or not? No, like, I play rugby because I love playing. Yep. And am I envious of the girls? I'm envious they're still playing. I'd still love to be playing. Yeah, yeah. Um, not envious of their attention. I think, you know, what they're getting now as well and richly deserved. Um, would it have been good when I played? Yeah, of course it would have been amazing. Yep. But I would never swap when I played. Yep. Um, I do actually recall going out to a, a school with you, Constable Brian, uh -oh, and, and um, getting a lovely letter from a kid back, and, and the kid said, uh, 
Dear Anna, thanks for coming. It was awesome listening to you and finding out you're a rugby player. I thought you were Sadie the cyclist. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I do remember that one. That's quite good, yeah. So, right, there are many critics out there who wrote after the semi-final game against France that France lost the game, and some of our mates in the Northern Hemisphere believe that the same with the final. Uh, I've even read somewhere that an interesting ref's call tilted the game towards the Black Ferns. Um, it sounds a little bit like a matter of would have, should have, could have, because let's be honest, the results are already there, it's too late, nothing will change. Yep. Is that your opinion on it too? Look, no one action in a game is the winning or losing of the game. Yep. There's a lot of cumulative things happening in a game. Um, sometimes, it, especially at the end of the game with that French kick, you know, that's what you tend to remember, the last action of the game. But yep. Um, I think the Black Fiends put themselves into a position to win, and yeah. that's what they did. And same with the, the English game. Um, I thought the ref was outstanding in that game, and I know you know the English moaned about um, the red card being now um, forever. You know, during a game. Mm-hmm. Interesting enough, they had that twenty-minute red card. Um, new law that we tried out last year and it was the Northern Hemisphere teams and unions more specifically England who said they didn't like it and they wanted to bring back the old rule mm. so look, not, not not one action is the winning or losing of a game Right, so let's put you under the pump then Right, So the team that made that you think has made the most progress since the last Rugby World Cup is who? Now that's a good one and I'm probably going to say Canada. Yeah, that's what I would have said as well. Um, I, they've always been really athletic. Yeah. And I think what really helped them this time was it was an eight-week tournament. And so most of the teams came in two weeks before. So they were principally here for nearly nine to ten weeks. Yeah. And it's uh, probably the most time they've ever been together because they're the most underfunded team in that top four who made the semis. Um, they're the least time together. They the, um, have the least number of of tests. So you saw the greatest advancement because they're actually together as a team for 10 weeks. Yep. And, mate, they've got some good players. Yeah, yeah. Their captain's amazing. Yeah. Uh, player of the tournament for you was who? I got agree. Ruhe DeMont. There you go. She is amazing. Yep. Uh, Non-New Zealand player of the tournament was who? The nine. Non. Non-New Zealand player, sorry. Non-New Zealand player of the tournament. Honestly, I've got a couple. Um, and I'm going to go uh, De Goody, mm-hmm. the, the Canadian number eight I thought was good. And Alex Matthews, the blindside for England, who I thought she was outstanding as well. Uh, who's the nation? We've probably already answered this, but let's ask it anyway. The nation we should keep an eye on for the next Rugby World Cup to maybe be a bit of a mover and a shaker. Again, I think I'm going to have to point to Canada. Mm. Although we've seen um, Italy make a lot of strides yep. recently. Um, they play in the Six Nations. Um, I think they're progressing really well. But I think those two will still be. You never know about Aussie, though. No. It's, it's just really dependent on whether the ARU get their arse into gear and actually support the that team, but which they haven't ever. Uh, Rugby World Cup 2025, it'll go from 12 teams to 16. Is that a good thing, or are we going to get uh, teams turning up and, you know, getting a 70-0 thrashing 
And people say, oh, yeah, it's good for the game because it's experience building. And it is. But as a spectacle, you know, a 70-point drubbing is probably not what your average punter wants to see. But is that a good thing for the game in your eyes? I think we definitely need to push it out to 16. The 98 tournament actually had 16 teams in it. Um, I think it gives teams a greater opportunity to play at that level, gain experience and get better. Um, There's a few teams who actually missed out who would have done quite well in this tournament. You know, you've got the likes of Ireland, uh, you've got the likes of Samoa, so pretty good sides. Um, There may be a couple of um, blowouts, possibly, but... You know, we saw in this tournament the the um, average um, gap actually reduced quite markedly from two seventeen. So you never know. So then next year we see the World Fifteen Global Tournament launched, uh, more test matches, unions encouraged to match funding from World Rugby to deliver investment and resources to women's rugby. Where do you think most of that investment is needed? I'll just talk about from a New Zealand perspective and uh, we need to invest at all levels of the game, grassroots we need a broader base here at the moment we don't have enough only 10% of the current um, registered women's players are over the age of 19 Mm -hmm. so that's not a decent enough base we also need pathways for uh, players and coaches, there's no coaching HP system or help for coaches, especially women's coaches. So yep. um, we need pathways that keep retain the the number of players we've got at that under eighteen level, stay in the game and progress. So more meaningful games equals more dollars, uh, broadcast, commercial um, profile. So if for a second I made you the NZRFU chairperson, <laughs> right? <laughs> CEO, CEO, yeah, come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can see so many people around the country going, oh, my Lord, here we go. Um, yeah, yeah. How do you make a stronger domestic competition, uh, Wahine Super Rugby competition, and ride the wave of the World Cup and what the Black Ferns have created for the upcoming 2023 season because look let's be honest if you were a rugby union and you had a women's rugby team you would be an absolute fool not to try and ride ride that wave in wouldn't you yeah i like it it's there the bandwagon's here it's not going to stay here for long we need to jump on it um look alpaki needs to be a longer competition the problem at the moment our base isn't big enough on players so it's really impacting on our club rugby and the the club scene. So if we could go to a home and away series and then a few years down the track maybe get a Moana Pacifica team in or Samoan team in or the Drua, uh, Fijiana, should I say, um, playing in here or have kind of something with the Super W and Aussie, there's options there. I think what we need to do is we need to keep the FPC alive and well that's yep. our you know a really important tool of retaining and, and getting players ahead uh, we need to stop taking marquee players out of the FPC at the moment they're out for two to three weeks of the five weeks or six weeks of round robin and it's you know you're asking your PUs to invest in a tournament where you're taking your marquee players out yep. so we need to stop doing that 
um, yeah, and just get more players playing and retaining players. So your average punter's got some idea, because I was listening to the Hurricanes and the Chiefs coach talking about it. So the Blues men's team, um, they'll, their squad will be announced soon. I know uh, Moana Pacificas was named earlier this week. Most of those players would have started training. Um, they would have been given the heads up a couple of weeks before and told, start training, and we're going to do some pre-testing before Christmas, and then boom, we're in. Um, let's say for the Auckland uh, Women's Super Rugby Comp. How Blues f- team. Yeah, how far away are the Blues team away from being named and then also coming together as a team and actually working out. Like the Hurricanes and the Chiefs uh, players are saying, we're going to get together probably about four or five days before our pre-season games. That's how sort of... So, so the structure at the moment is that the Alpaki teams have been named. Yep. Uh, this week, I think, or last week. And um, we started, I we knew who the contracted players were um, for a number. So each team's got 28 contracts to give out most of them given out 26 yeah and they've got two kind of on and hold um uh, we started training the auckland based alpaki girls two weeks ago yeah so they uh work in my academy and they're doing two s and c sessions a week one grass session that'll pull out to two grass sessions um after christmas so they do pre-season training but where they get paid under their contract is when they assemble with the team. Yeah. And they, I think the girls are contracted for something like eight and a half, nine thousand dollars Yeah, which, I, I mean, when you compare it to men's rugby, it's laughable, let's be honest. Yeah. But um, the, and it's shameful as well. But, yeah. uh, so people have got some idea, and I know that I, I read this in an article. Um, can you remember how much you got paid on your very first paycheck? <laughs> I got... I was away at a New Zealand camp, and it was a three-day camp, and we got $5 a day. Yep. I got go. $15 in an envelope. Yep. Yeah, boy. I felt like a, <laughs> yeah. felt like a drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. La, la, la. Right, uh, okay, so <laughs> Sir Bill Beaumont started watching the Rugby World Cup final. Uh, it was probably more entertaining than the men's game. So why do you think in women's rugby there is still more of a let's chance our arm attitude here than, say, the percentage-based play of... I'm going to call it safe men's rugby. So, for instance, in women's rugby, we very often will see um, the fullback, uh, the first five link up, and they'll attempt to run it out from almost on their goal line. Whereas if you flip that over and make it men's rugby, they're playing a very percentage-based game. Let's go for the sideline kick, that type of stuff. And even um, watching some of the Black Ferns plays, some of the uh, older heads in the room as I was watching the game are screaming at the TV, come on, you should be kicking for the sideline. And they're tapping and going. Um, so why do you think there's still that chance your arm attitude in women's rugby? Well, I think Smithy gave them that. Yeah. You know, the professor, he he loves that style of play. And I was talking to Dan Carter about it, and, and Dan said that Smithy was like that when he was with the ABs. Yeah. Um, this, that it, there was a couple of more pragmatic heads in the team that knew when not to play too much yeah. on your goal line. Um, I think Smithy was great for the girls, gave them a lot of belief in themselves, and, and it was just... Oh, yeah, I've heard some people say it's uh, there's more pressure on the men to play, and there maybe is in yep. the media. You know, you've seen what yeah, yeah. the vitriol and the press this uh, whole year. Yeah. Um, and the girls were in a kind of a position where they had nothing to lose because they were coming back from such 
a terrible year last year, two years of COVID, and then that review this year and change of management, it was almost like a, let's just get out there, enjoy and have fun and play. Yeah. Uh, look, let's be honest, that's a return to the old school Black Ferns attitude, isn't it? Cause well, let's, when, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like kicking so much, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Brian, yeah, so yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, loved, I loved chancing my arm, and yes. if it was on, it was on. Yeah. Uh, how easy is the transition from semi-pro to pro going to be for the women's game? So do we risk losing some of the domestic game, so like, like some... Uh, rugby pundits would say has happened to the NPC because Super Rugby because of more tests for the All Blacks. I mean, there used to be a way, and this certainly is not the way with women's rugby. I know because I've gone and watched um, women's rugby over the years. You know, you very often you guys would come back from a Rugby World Cup, and within side sort of three or four days, you'd be playing in your club team again, and everybody would be like, "Oh, she was playing for the Black Ferns last week." Um, do we risk losing that? Uh, I mean, because of the fact that. As you get more professional and you've got these super rugby competitions and hopefully there will be more tests for the Black Ferns but we're going to miss the chance maybe to see Ruby Tui run out for counties or other players run out for their provinces as much. Yeah, but then, you know, them not being there gives the opportunity to a younger player to play. Yep. You know, so if we retain the, the Ruby Tuis at a club, provincial, you know, I'll pick their national level, then where's the space to grow and yep. create a base? Yeah, yeah. So it's a natural progression. Yep. But at the moment, we don't have that base. So that's why we're going to see them playing in FPC, which is great because then we'll build up an audience, we'll build up support, and it's wonderful. Yeah. So the professor, as you said, has stated, literally, uh, we have to make it count with the six, seven, and eight-year-olds playing Ripper. But then when they go to high school, they've got no team or coach, and they go and play another sport now. Uh, Taylor Johnson, who has played for um, Samoa, um, she set up the Mags uh, rugby thing when she was there. Uh, myself and my offside, Matt, were at Odu College for a number of years. And look, let's be honest, we dragged you down for a couple of practices, and it was tough coaching um, girls and women's rugby at that stage because, like you say, there were no resources. Pretty much it was a ragtag bunch of girls that were like, oh, we've been kicked out of netball, let's give this a shot. How do we encourage high schools around Aotearoa to have three or four teams of girls at their high schools? Because that's uh, logistically and realistically, that's what we want, isn't it? You want sort of an under 75 team, maybe an under 90 kgs team, and then, um, I don't know, go from there, yeah, you know, but you want, you want a bunch of teams at a high school so that they can actually play, and we've got more than one team, because... Let's be honest, there were some times in that Auckland competition we would play the same team four teams, four times in a year. I like how you went straight to weight grade. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. It's an old flashback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was thinking under 19s, I was thinking how much you weighed in your playing career. I'm like, well, you wouldn't have made the under 90s. You, you so, yeah. know what I'd like more at, at, at school is age brackets. Yeah. Because at the moment, most most schools have only got just one team. And so your, your third, fourth, fifth formers are really struggling to make that one team. Yeah. So so if we if we get it like a under fifteen team and then an under eighteen team and you might get two under eighteen teams, I mean that would be ideal. Yep. Um, we get a lot of kids playing at that under 12, 13 grade, but as soon as they go to high school, there's not a lot for them. I know with Auckland Rugby, uh, the last two seasons they've been working really hard on creating an under fifteen grade through the schools that are attached to a club. 
it's another reason why you don't see girls staying in rugby is when they finish school, which is an easy environment to play rugby in because they're well supported and they're in an environment they know, then going to a new environment's a real barrier. So if they've already got that association with the club, they're more likely to stay within the whole thing. So I'm more for ages rather than weights. Yep, yep, I get that completely. Um, So let's pretend that... We're the parents of a 13-year-old girl here who has oh watched God, the Black Panther. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Come on, Daddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Who's decided after watching the Black Panther, she wants to play rugby. Yep. Where's the best place for her to start, in your humble goat opinion? So she's 13. Yep. Um, Never touched a rugby ball before. Cool. So, and it's summer. Winter, so look, I'd get her into tag touch yep. in the summer, yep. um, just to get used to throwing the ball around. Skills are very transferable. Um, if she's at an intermediate, that uh, if she's under thirteen, she can still play in a club scene. Yeah. So she can go down there. A lot of clubs now have woman, uh, girl only teams, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. So she can go there, or she can play in a mixed team. So her best position is to go to uh, parents to go to a club and, and get an introduction through there. Clubs look at registering. I think it's about February. Yeah, you know, starts maybe February Marchish. Um, get down there, enjoy the enjoy the club scene. Now the Blackfern brand, it would be fair to say, is running a little bit more in the public interest since maybe. I don't know, 91, 2000. <laughs> yeah, anyway, all right. Uh, so we've got Ruby Tui. Tui's got the number one book. There's sponsorships as opposed to billing and accommodation. Uh, and players are being asked to pay for shirts for family members like they did in your day. Um, one of the big attractions, uh, says Sarah Cowley-Ross from the New Zealand Herald, is because the Black Ferns are authentic, real, and simply refreshing. Um, in my mind, the grassroots connection is the strength of the game for Wahine. Is there anything wrong with women's rugby in this country being the friendly fam- family crowds, the $10 kids tickets, the poi, and people actually cheering and singing at football games, in your opinion? Hell no. Yeah. I think it's the best thing ever. Yeah. And, and I've talked to guys who've been to men's test matches, women's test matches, and they'll go that final, the semi-final, the whole... Um, aura around this World Cup has been the best experience I've ever had. Yeah. Uh, I went to a really interesting uh, conference last week talking about the women's sports fan as opposed to your general sports fan. And they're totally different. The general sports fan goes for the a team and they're all about winning. Yep. The women's sports fan goes for the individual. They like the individuals they don't care about winning they care about the experience they care and it's a different demographic it's family orientated they like merchandise they spend more money they're a fun crowd and they stay and they stay fans longer wouldn't it be interesting and you and i will never know um as will none of our listeners but to actually see who outsells who at Christmas for Christmas gifts, a black fern shirt or an all black shirt? I'm picking because I understand that things were selling out pretty quickly, that they would they will struggle to keep up with the demand. There you go. Luckily, you've got one. Uh, yeah. Uh, so coaching, yeah, couple. Coaching's been an issue for women's rugby. Uh, now, you being a coach, how do we attract more people to coach girls, women at the local level? Like when I started off. Uh, coaching um, young women's rugby, lots of people are like, 
oh, you don't want to do that, you know, like, why aren't you coaching the men's stuff? I'm like, because there's more of a future here, and these girls are actually, dare I say, I love coaching women now because they, you guys listen a ton load better than guys <laughs> do, just quietly. Uh, yeah, the, this one included. Um, yeah, so how do we attract coaches to go and coach their young daughter's team or just somebody turning up and saying, actually, I'd like to coach? Because like we've said before, you know, in lots of places, like all high schools and everything else, there isn't even a women's or a girls' rugby team at that school. So how do you attract them there? Is it by saying, hey, look, the rugby union will give you resources if you get a team started? Um, Is it the school actually saying, well, we're going to have to bite the bullet here and we're talking diversity and equality, let's actually do this? Um, What do you think? Look, I know the the unions work really hard to try and get into schools and support them. Um, I think the initiative's got to start at an NZRU level supporting the development of coaches. Because if we get better coaches at a grassroots school level, we're going to get better players coming through and yep. better supported players. So it's got to be a real initiative from NZRU and PU land. Yeah to look after and support coaches. Because at the moment, you know, there's at NZRPA, there's player associations everywhere, but is anybody supporting the poor old coach? Yeah. Honestly, and they're the first people who get fired. They're the first people who get blamed. Yeah. They get treated so badly. And it's like, why would you want to be a coach? Yeah. Because nobody's got your back. Yeah. So they need more support from grassroots, and I think that's how we'll grow the game, better pathways. Yeah. So here's a lane that you'll know. So Analia Rush, Blackfern number 76. So the Blackferns need an end-of-year tour, like the All Blacks, every year uh, up to the Northern Hemisphere. Do you think that's the answer? Or do you think they should be doing the North American League as well? Because like we've both said, you know, Canada and America seem to be a lot stronger at this World Cup. Uh, Canada definitely are no slouches. You wouldn't say... And I hate to say this to our Canadian listeners, but they're certainly not like we would say a tune-up game anymore, are they? That's actually a full-on test, proper test. So do you think we should be doing the North America League as well, or where should we be touring? Look, the the more tests we get, the better. Um, We will always play Canada and American Pack 4 in in a May-June window. So that's a given. So uh, then trying to get not so much a Northern Hemisphere, but trying to get the Northern Hemisphere teams out here because um, we need more home-based test matches to retain that fan base because it's tough to, you know, I don't think we'll see the Black Friends play a test on home soil till maybe August next year. Yeah. And that's a that's a while because yep. I'd say Pack 4 will be hosted by Canada or... Aussie or so that everybody yep. will have a have a shot at doing it over the next few years. So we definitely need to play England and France more. Yeah. Because they're the benchmark. Um, whether it's we go up there or not. So it's more about what does the international calendar look like, what can we sustain, um, uh, you know, and the more test matches the better. So Alan Gilpin, who's the chief executive of World Rugby, said not just this tournament but the game is creating for the women's game to go well beyond where men's rugby is. We need to be careful in the women's game that as as we start to grow, we don't just replicate what we've done in the men's game. Is that is that to you what's the biggest danger facing women's rugby? Because look, let's be honest, like we've said, there at the moment there's a massive wave, there's lots of ideas, people are saying stuff. I even heard uh, one of the commentators say, you know, why aren't the Black Ferns approaching Scott Robinson to coach the Black Ferns? That would be the lo- smart and logical thing to do. Um, what do you think's the biggest danger 
facing women's rugby with all this sort of hype and enthusiasm behind it, I'm guessing. Yeah. Look, I think we've got to think outside the box yeah. and see what's best for women's rugby. We ca- I don't want us to replicate what the boys do because you no. see where the English Premiership is in strife over yeah. in England, just purely... Yeah, their model is super broken yep. and they're spending way beyond their means and everything's falling over. You've seen Worcester fall over recently, Wasps fall over. Yep. I think London Irish you can buy for a pound and then you take on their 100 or 200 million pound debt yep. if you're lucky, you know, you're lucky bugger. Mm, yeah, so yeah. Um, I think, yeah, we need to think what's best for women's rugby where it is now. Yeah. Um, uh, how do we progress it forward in a positive manner and how do we keep the fans we've got you know the the demographic we we have is the family fun play great rugby you know we don't want to go down the track of playing the men's game yeah you know you know and, and England's always the girls have always played the way they have yeah but you see a lot more freedom from other teams yeah uh, so, just in case anybody thinks this is going to be easy and you don't have to say anything, because I know you'll just be grinning from ear to ear here. So, <laughs> World Rugby did not recognise the Women's Rugby World Cup, and it wasn't finally sanctioned until 1998. In 1991, uh, a lot of the women's teams, including the Blackfern, fund, fundraised themselves to get to the Rugby World Cup. World Rugby only has one women's rep on the executive board, and to be fair, um, uh, Sir... Beaumont there has said that World Rugby wants to ex- exclude, have to, sorry, include 40% of representation of women on all boards um, and all committees across World Rugby. New Zealand Rugby was the only New Zealand sports organisation not to hit the government 40% women on boards quota. Uh, uh, and if New Zealand don't reach this by April 2023, then they might lose up to $600,000. So it's not going to be an easy task, is it, right? Uh they were given a you know a yeah. while to do that, and they yep. did get fined. I think two hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah. So yeah, they need to do better. Yeah. Uh, so for me, why hasn't somebody got all the? And I mean this in the most loving way, Anna. Uh, all the old heads, and sort of said, "Hey, how do we make this better um, for everybody?" As well as like focus groups from some of the marketing people that were involved in the tournament and everything else is. Have you received an invitation like that or has somebody said to you, hey, look, here's an idea? I mean, I know that you're heavily involved in high performance in women's rugby anyway, but has that, that been suggested since the World Cup or not? Well, just thinking about women's strategy, which I presume is yep. your question, yep. um, there's been uh, a lot of work done this year by the NZRU on creating a strategic plan for women's and girls rugby. Um, I was on a number of calls, working groups and focus groups on that and so were stakeholders around the country, players, everybody has been involved in that. We've now started a process the last um, month or so on a high performance strategy on top of that and then a high performance coaches strategy as well so all this is going to be rolled out in the new year yeah so and you know i've got more focus groups and meetings around a high performance strategy yeah but 
you know, I think NZI, you are taking this seriously. They want to get something in place that is sustainable going forward because previous to now, it's been a real knee-jerk reaction, you know. A little bit of money here and there yep. has been thrown at the Black Ferns and they've gone like, okay, well, what do we do with it? Yeah. Um, I know throughout this whole year, there's only been one person working at the NZRU under high performance and that was Hannah Porter and she was working three days a week. Yeah. Well she was actually working about ten days a week but she yeah. was only getting paid for yeah. three. Yeah. Um they now have got opening up a lot more jobs and creating more jobs over the next two or three months to make that high performance department bigger, the women's department bigger and to then fold out and implement the strategy that's going to be introduced. Yeah, because, I mean, look, let's be honest, World Rugby Awards last week. Uh, so uh, we had the World Rugby's Women's 15 Player of the Year. We have the Coach of the Year. We have the Women's 15 Breakthrough Player of the Year. Uh, year old mate Dr Farah Palmer wins the Vernon Pure Award for Distinguished Services to the Game. Yeah. And four out of the 15 of the Women's Dream Team uh, are all Black Ferns, right? So, uh, the New Zealand Rugby Union has Black Ferns contracted across 15 and 7s uh, teams at the moment. Um, of note, when I was researching this podcast, pretty much everybody said if we had longer contracts, that would be way better. Um, and look, let's be honest, a lot of those uh, Black Ferns that played in the Rugby World Cup, they didn't have like contracts until about March of this year, did they, some of them? so yeah, June. Yeah, some there you go. Were, yep. Some of them contracted in June, yep. Sylvia Brunt. Yeah, uh, so the New Zealand Rugby have said, look, we're not following anybody, we're not following ourselves, that we're anywhere near at our best in support structures, which is something we've spoken about. There will be 112 players, including Black Ferns, contracted to the Super Rugby uh, Tournament uh, in 2023. Uh, like we've said, the Chiefs and the Hurricanes uh, coaches have both said that women's game is crying out for resources. So, uh, we know that England's model can't be used for us. There's population uh, issues, there's sponsor issues, and like you said, it clearly is not working, particularly in the men's professional game, where the answer seems to be to go and get a rich sponsor, that sponsor pulls out, and the club is left with a huge amount of debt. Yeah. So, how do we structure... <laughs> the game here in New Zealand. I'm giving you the easy ones, are you? <laughs> <laughs> How do you structure the game in New Zealand and make it so that we get it right? Like you said, we've got to have a good base. Um, we have to get people in the gates to watch the Auckland Storm play yeah. um, and also all the other women's teams across the country. And that might be by doing, and I'm just thinking that out here, you know, the $5 kids tickets and that type of stuff, free game days, just so that we get a bit of interest. But how do you structure it so that we get it right, do you think? Because you're pretty much starting off, and this sounds terrible because I know the legacy that you and the rest of the girls have, have, have created. You're almost starting from a clean slate, aren't you, because yeah. the way it's gone? Look, we can't go from zero to 100. No. And yep. 2.2 like our Porsche. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yep. But, you know... We we have to we've got to be bold. Yep. We can't go. Oh, just be. So, I like the fact that we've got contract. You know, full contracts now. I think the hubs once. You know, we started the hubs for the contracted players this year. So we've just had a review on those. Um, hopefully, we'll be rolling the hubs out again when the girls get back from celebrating all over the world. World, yeah, yeah. Um. And I think we've just got to keep progressing each year and you've got to keep on evolving and we've got to keep getting bigger. Um, 
again, it's about growing our base because if we don't get more players, it's not sustainable. Yeah. Okay, so we've got to look after grassroots. We've got to get pathways in players and management, um, and we've got to really support the players. And it's about game time, significant game time, at home and abroad and significant FPC that's got to be supported our pick has got to get better and bigger right okay so last two questions for you probably the toughest ones of the entire podcast here we go so uh, next year who's our captain for the Black Ferns number one it's got to be Lou yeah alright <laughs> number two who's the new coach of the Black Ferns oh yeah like that, that's an interesting one, um, and I know they they've just put it up and it's open to anybody around the world. Yep. I want it to be a Kiwi because mm-hmm. we've got some good coaches here. I'm up for anybody. You know, I know Alan Bunting was involved mm-hmm. um, in this on the cultural side. I think he's a wonderful coach. You know, that culture's really important. If the girls are happy, they play really well. Mm-hmm. He's pretty forward-thinking as well, so he's maybe a candidate. Um, Scott Rom- you know, Scott Robinson, I'd say he's looking at the dollars more than anything on yeah. the men's side of things, so that's too much of a Hail Mary. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what else is out there because most of them are tied into contracts with Super Rugby, yeah. if you think about that. Is there any woman around who uh, have the nous to be a head coach at that level? No, because they haven't been given the support or the pathways to grow to that. All right, let me throw you a curveball here and say you get somebody like, because uh, he's due, he must be due after the World Cup, so he probably won't do it. Um, you get somebody like Eddie Jones. Oh, hell no. Wave, Wayne Pivak apply. Um, Wayne's doing so well with Wayne. Uh, well, with yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next police officer as well. Uh, yeah, but you know, you get somebody like that apply. Uh, is that the type of person you want for it, or do you want somebody from, like you said, local, who's a New Zealander? Who, I mean, it's, it's quite feasible, isn't it, that somebody like Sir Steve Hansen could go? You know what? The professor's done it. Let's just give it a crack. Um, yeah. Did, did, did the professor want to do it? No, not really. No, he didn't. He got, <laughs> yeah. But he he he. But he stepped into the role and he yep. did really well. And I know he really enjoyed it. I know he struggled it with yep. a little bit. Oh, well, mostly the the music and the singing he couldn't handle. He, he, <laughs> he it just did his head, and I yep. think. But um, you know, Wayne Smith is such a forward-thinking coach yep. that I think he had the ability to be able to do, you know, step in at such short notice and make such a huge difference. Are the, is every male coach in a position or have the ability to coach women? Because we're a little different, and you can yeah, testify yeah, oh, to that. Yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. could they, if they've been in a male setup for so long? Yeah. Possibly they could. You know, most yeah. coaches, if they get to that level, have transferable skills, are hugely flexible. So, yeah. You know, what about Gatlin? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, and I mean, like, like you say, Andy's a New Zealander and everything else. I mean, so, so why not? Which then goes to bring me on to, and and why you've just brought that up. Um, like you said, the Australian rugby union's struggling with its women's rugby, and yeah, to be and fair, means. yeah, well, yeah, yeah, what the smile from your face. Ah, uh, but um, 
do you think we'll ever see, and we know that it's been spoken about before in men's competition, but do you think we'll ever see a um, Anzac team go up into all the Northern Hemisphere for women in women's rugby? Or is that just too far a step at this stage, do you think? I think it's too far a step, and it's not really needed. We need to look after our own backyards first and get things up and running and support that before we... I presume you're liking it to like a British Lions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a possibility. I think we'll probably see more than likely a British Lions team come to travel down. Yeah. But an Anzac team, no, I can't see that. Right. But I like the idea. There you go. Trademark it. Get the concept going. You're all good. Right. Okay, then. And on that happy note, we will leave the legend that is Anna Richards uh, well and truly alone. Uh, But we'll (laughs) leave you with this quote, because this is a great quote. Uh, from the New Zealand uh, CEO of New Zealand Rugby, Mark Robinson, uh, when they presented her with the, her award in 2021, she said, we, go, we acknowledge Anna Richards, whose immense contribution to rugby has been uh, recognised here with this award. Anna has no doubt undoubtedly inspired a generation of women to play our game. And it is quite staggering, the number of black ferns that mention, when you mention Anna Richards, they were like, oh, she was my hero when I was a girl, so... I think you can probably take a bow on that one as well, just quietly. So, good on you, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Brian. Thanks for listening. But please, do Constable Brian and I a favour, and be sure to subscribe. So you don't miss out on the next Coppuccino podcast. Real people, real stories.